This is Difference Makers, and I'm your host, Adam Van Bremer. On our latest episode, Georgia Ports Authority Executive Director Griff Lynch shares the secrets behind our local port's growth and success, the rapid evolution of the maritime industry, and how the son of a firefighter grew up to be an industry giant. The Difference Makers podcast is brought to you by an organization making a major difference in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces. But do you know what makes them Difference Makers? This is Difference Makers, a podcast presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority and dedicated to highlighting Savannah's key players and their contributions to our community. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. I'm Adam Van Bremer, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening. Difference Makers today by the Georgia Ports Authority's Griff Lynch, Executive Director of all the Georgia Ports, not just here in Savannah. He's based here in Savannah, but Georgia Ports, of course, has a couple of terminals at the port here in Savannah. They have a a port down in Brunswick, and they have one inland port right now up in the northwestern part of the state of Georgia. So, Griff, first of all, thank you for taking the time to to join us today. We usually start with some biographical information, and as I was sharing with you when I walked in, I think everybody, when they hear the name Griff Lynch, they know Georgia Ports Authority. They know they know that. I think people maybe have done a little research that they know your family man. You got a, a mess of kids, right? Six That's kids. Right. Uh, but beyond that, they're a little fuzzy. So sure. you're, you're not a, you're not a local. You're not a native. You're like right. me. You'll never be a Savannian. Right. <laughs> still uh, trying. Yeah, still trying. But uh, kind of take take us back. It started on Long Island. Right? Sure. Well, Adam, thank you for having me. We greatly appreciate the opportunity to to talk about our business and. And wherever else the conversation goes, we're excited to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, Griff Lynch, I, um, I was born in Queens, New York, and uh, my father was a New York City fireman. Very proud of that fact. Wow. And uh, we moved out when I was a young child. We moved out to eastern Long Island. It's a beautiful part of the world. The problem is you just got to get there. It's really mm-hmm. tough. And I grew up there for the most part. I did, I did move to New Jersey uh, my senior year in high school, so I've got a little bit of balance. But, yeah, when I was a young uh person probably in middle school I, I got the opportunity to go to visit a college called state university of new york at maritime college mm-hmm. and i would think i was in seventh grade at the time and i knew from the moment i saw the ship and the people the the, the young uh, students in in uniform and and they got to travel the world and go see things that's where i wanted to go and that's exactly where i went and and i thought i'd go work on ships and do that and that's what i went for i actually really want to work on tugs in New York Harbor, in the Harbor of New York, but along the way, I forgot to mention that I'm I get seasick, <laughs> so that, that plan didn't work out too well. But no, and and that's that obviously you get your sea legs and whatnot. But it was a great experience. Loved the school, had a wonderful uh, a wonderful college career, and and uh, met some fascinating people. Growing up on the eastern end of Long Island, there's there's water there. Yep. Uh, where you, did yeah. Did you spend a lot of time around? Yes, the water? we did. We were, you know, of course, it's a limited season in New York, but uh, we grew up on the beach. We were living right by the beach, and I loved every second of it. And um, unfortunately, I don't live on the beach here, but I would like to, and that's always a goal of mine to get back to that. But it's a it it really was a great experience. I bet you that property on the eastern end of Long Island today versus yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> 
True. Quite a bit more valuable, right? When I was a kid, it was all farms, and, you know, if you were on the beach, there were was farms. potato farms, right? Potato farms, yeah. right. Strawberry farms, sod farms, and now it's all wineries. Right. So uh, quite, quite interesting. But, yeah, I, got, I graduated school in 1988, and I went right into the business, and I started working uh, for an ocean carrier. Okay. And, and I, a mix of throughout my career, I've stayed with the maritime industry the entire time, mostly all private sector ocean carrier and terminal operations and um, both in sales and operations and it's been really a wonderful career. I've worked up and down the East Coast and starting in New Jersey, spent a lot of time in Virginia. Uh, Then while I was in Virginia, ran some terminal in Baltimore and also early in my career spent some time even in Charleston. Mm -hmm. So I've been up and down and and, uh, now we've been as a family in Georgia for eight and a half years now and loved every minute of it. You mentioned your sea legs. a lot of your work throughout your career has probably been on land. Oh yeah. But did you spend? Have you spent a lot of time on the on the big ship? I did not. I have not. Other than really, haven't spent any time as we say sailing. I have quite a few friends, and they're all starting to retire now. Uh, but uh, they have made careers out of it. It's not, it's not an easy life, as you can imagine, especially as a family person. Uh, you go out to sea for uh, six, eight months, depending on your 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 level and what who you're working for, and that was. Really, when I got out of school, it was not something that appealed to me, and I, I've done exactly what I wanted to do, working on the land side. You mentioned your dad was a firefighter in New York. When you went out to Long Island, did he stay with that? Yeah, he, he was a firefighter and commuted in, and uh, he worked for uh, about 25 years. And uh, and uh, he was a special guy because he, while he was a firefighter, he also had a, a, a master's degree, and he became a professor in a, in a community college, and then he went and worked for Lucent Technologies after retiring. So he was... Had quite a diversified background. Right. And you have a big family now. Did you come from a big family? Did I came your from. I came from. Yes, kids? one of one of five children. Okay. And my, my mom was a nurse as well. So okay, uh, so it was uh, again. We're all very close as well. They're all over the place, but we stay close. So in college, a maritime college, I, I don't know what other kind of frame of reference you have, but is it very similar to going to? Georgia Southern or going to the University of Georgia? Uh, not quite. I, I haven't gone to those places, but we had uh, certainly it was good for me. It was, it was very structured. It was, uh, I wouldn't call it a military school, but we had uniforms. It was, there was a regiment. might not be as serious as a West Point or Annapolis, but, but we had rules to follow. And uh, in the summertime, we, we sailed on a, on a training ship for two months, and we'd go mostly over to Europe. Mm-hmm. And you were with the entire school on the ship, and that was quite an experience, but you learned a lot. And then and when you came, when I came home, I actually worked on, on a tug in one summer uh, after that. So you, you didn't have a lot of time off. And everybody that goes to school there is really a dual major because you're learning either how to run an engine room in an engine department or you're what we call a decky. And you would uh, learn the skills and trades of an officer and how to navigate and steer the ship and so forth. And then while you were doing that, you also had an undergraduate degree that you would major in as well. Yeah. Did you have to go through, uh, I'm sort of training involved, life-saving. People talk about when they serve on an aircraft carrier, they have to jump off the deck at least once, and they have to figure out how to blow up their pants for a life preserver. <laughs> Is any of that? Well, you certainly experience? had the different, different a lot of courses, varying degrees. Um, yeah, we, you know, obviously everybody had to, you had to be a proficient swimmer and jump from high heights, and, and, and a lot of us enjoyed that anyway. So that was not a challenge, and... Yeah, you had to go through those types of things, right. for sure. And I'm sure the other side of it was learning a lot about the business and the business side of things. How much of what you do in the maritime business is 
similar? I, I know you have contacts all over the business community yeah, here in Savannah. It, are there a lot of similarities, or is it a lot different? I would say uh, one thing I've learned uh, in, in my career, and both in college and um, in I think in life, is that networking is a critical component of something we should all be doing all the time. Um, it's having relationships is critical. I certainly wouldn't be sitting here if, if I hadn't developed those. And, and you want to have a, uh, I think we want to develop a good reputation and be a person, a, a person of our word and make sure that, that people look at us as someone who's credible, reliable, have with, uh, with, with integrity. And um, those are things that we certainly learned and were drilled into us in school. Um, and I want to keep striving for those things every day. Now, I know a lot of your professional career has been on the terminal side. You said you worked in right. New, York, New Jersey, Charleston, Virginia. I know you worked at a private terminal in Virginia where you – it was a terminal that did a lot of automation. Sure. How has the business kind of evolved in your, in your time? Well, from the early beginning – again, I started in, the career, in, in this industry in 1988, and from where – we were then to where we are now it's vastly different um, obviously you hit the nail on the head there's a lot more technology in all aspects of the business and it's much faster moving um, cargo I think you know when you think about the level of cargo all the ports are much larger now than they were the ships are much larger there's a greater exchange happening faster and information technology is moving so quickly that you have to have the right systems in place, you have to have the right team to support the IT aspect. Um, and I think, and sadly, there's probably some aspects of that that are probably relying less on the relationship side of it. Mm-hmm. And we, we shouldn't lose sight of those things. It's, it's import, critically important to keep that relationship, uh, those relationships at the forefront. And I think the Georgia Ports does a good job of that as an example. But yeah, so in, when I started, everything was highly manual and started a container terminal, and, and it was more manual than it is today. I worked in Virginia and had the opportunity to lead a project to build a new terminal, um, and we looked around the world at the best way to operate a terminal. We visited sites in Asia and Europe, and as a team, um, we came to the conclusion that a semi-automated facility, if you're going to spend $500 million, is the best bang for your buck. Um, and in that case, that was good because it was a greenfield site. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Georgia Ports Authority, we employ a significant amount of technology. It is not as highly automated as some terminals out there. But one thing I would say is with the relationship we have with the ILA and the Georgia Ports Authority employees, we don't need to be. It's just about making sure we're keeping pace in productivity, efficiency, and the movement of cargo. And, and I would now submit that having been worked in many places and also seen many operations throughout the world, this is truly a world-class operation. Um, I think, and I've said this before, we are the envy of many facilities around the world. And we have people coming from all over to come see this terminal and how it works and why does it go so well. And the first thing that we tell them is that relationships help this facility be what it is because the ILA really uh, do a great job. And all the GPA operators and the equipment operators we have here, the 1,352 GPA employees, make it work every day successfully and, and probably, I'd say, again, the best in the business. What is the, the growing curve in the business? You come in and you start working in relationships and doing some operational stuff. And how, does, how did you kind of build up to where you are now? For me, I was very fortunate. I had some great mentors um, and was able to kind of be shepherded throughout many different aspects. And so I started 
kind of planning vessels, and I was a stowage coordinator. That was the title, and we sat in a central location, and we planned the vessel as it went down the East Coast. So I actually interacted with all the ports up and down the East Coast, including the Florida ports, even Gulf and whatnot. So it allowed me to meet a lot of people very quickly. Uh, I then probably did it backwards. I would have liked to have done it the other way, worked down at the port of Elizabeth, New Jersey, mm-hmm. down in the New York, New Jersey port. Of, uh, and again, private terminal operators working for a company called Sealand at that time. And Sealand was eventually purchased by Maersk Line who's still probably the largest global carrier today. But while with Sealand down at the terminal operations, I worked nights and worked, learned how to work vessels, understood yard operations and different capacities, and learned the business really uh, at a very minute level. And that was very, that's still important for me today. I call back those days often. After about 10 years of doing that, I had the opportunity to go into sales at, at different levels, ro- rose up the ranks into management levels and operations. And uh, a friend of mine, there we go with the relationship again, offered me a job in, in sales because he knew I was an operations guy with a great sales personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joking about that. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that, though. We, uh, when I say sales, what we were doing was selling space on the vessel. Okay. So in this case, I uh, worked much of my time was in New York City, and we were selling to folks that might you know, have been moving garments. And that was a high-revenue cargo at the time. And it was a great experience because... I had an uh, understanding of what it was like for the container to move through a terminal, but not the people side of it. Okay. Um, in this case, when I worked in sales in New York City, now you're dealing with the people that actually need the cargo, and if they don't get the cargo, their business is troubled, and they're not. You know, their sales are going to be challenged. Um, uh, they're going to have issues selling cargo if it's not on the store shelf. Okay. So. It was, in many respects, much more challenging than I anticipated. And uh, when when there's a customer, you know, pounding on the desk and saying, "Where's my container?" Where uh, you know, you have to step up to the plate and get it done. So it was good for me because I was able to use and leverage a lot of my operational knowledge. You to call help. somebody exactly. And say, okay, don't <laughs> exactly. tell me X right. Y Z. I know how it works. Exactly. So that get. helped me tremendously, and I really enjoyed that time. And I I have. I truly have a respect for our, our commercial team here as a result of that. I understand how difficult it is. And, uh, you know, in operations, a lot of times it's a team effort. In sales, it's, it's more, I think, it can be lonely at times because it's all on the one person. And your sales number is yours. It's not the team per se. So I, for that reason, I liked operations much better. I love being part of a team and, and now leading a team um, and winning as a team. It's, it's much more enjoyable, but, but, um, but I have a great respect for the commercial team. I know they don't think that sometimes, but I do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm thinking about it as you're talking, and the whole planning side of it is we see these ships, I was at the beach on Sunday, and fully loaded ship came in. And I think about it, I'm like, how many thousands of containers are on there and you got to have it plotted as what comes off and what stays on and what order it should be on and where it needs to go and just the complexity of that really kind of boggles the mind right well you know it's it's interesting in the late 1980s the central the concept of central planning was new now it's 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 the norm Uh, but we had a as i said we had a central office and we would plan the vessel for the entire coastal trip. And we would send a file over to, in this case, Europe, where they would plan the vessel for the rest of the trip while the ship was in Europe. Today, 
these vessel planning centers are in Salt Lake City, they're in Idaho, they're in Panama and Singapore, they're all over the world, but, but they're not, it's not a port, a single port planning a ship. It's all done in the back office. And that's important because the planning, central planning area has visibility to all the ports, how many loads the ports are going to have in exchange, discharge, or, or load back. And planning is an extreme, is a very important part of the operation because the ship has to be loaded so that it has stability, mm -hmm. so that it can sail the oceans. And when we discharge cargo in Georgia, we take cargo from multiple hatches, and so it's all balanced. You don't want everything being up front, it seems obvious to say, right. and you want the heavy cargo down below for center of gravity and so forth. So yeah, that's critically important, and it just continues on into the yard operations and as it leaves the facilities. Today, I think that's where the IT part comes in now, and it's ever more critical that, that the visibility of the container and having increased velocity for the container, how fast can we move it through our facilities, mm -hmm. critically important. Does that mostly fall on the, the ports or the shipper or the combination of both? It's I assume the captain probably well, it's really it's really a combination of, of all of the above. Everybody, it's it it truly is a team. The vessel is planned by a central planning office. Those plans are given to us mm -hmm. and to the stevedores who are loading the ships, mm -hmm. and everybody's working in conjunction with each other. And, and there's a handoff because the Georgia Ports is managing the yard operation. Mm -hmm. So when those containers are received in our gates, we plan where the cargo should go. Right. And then the stevedore plans at what time they want to load any specific cargo. And when we, when we plan the yard, we're grounding and loading that container in the yard by weight, by port of dis future port of discharge. There, nothing is left to chance. Everything is planned to the last uh, minute detail. Difference Makers podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes. Keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com slash newsletters. Well, before we get too much into the ports, uh, let's talk a bit. You mentioned you come from a big family. You yeah. have a big family. Married, six kids, ages? They oh, sure. I have, I have six, six children. Uh, married to Denise. Uh, we've been married for just about 28 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, our oldest daughter has turned, uh, turns 26 uh, tomorrow, mm -hmm. and uh, our youngest is ten, and we have four girls and two boys. And the don't ask me the old ages of everybody who no, put won't. me on the spot, <laughs> but but I'm proud of them all. They're all great, uh, wonderful kids, and and each different in their own way, but have their own interests. It's right. fun. To, it's been it, it it's fun, and it has. I'm sure for all of those out there listening, it's always amazes me how you can have children often the same parents and every single one of them has their own interests and they're quite different from each other right. but uh, thankfully most of them look like their mother yeah so <laughs> any of them following into the maritime uh, i don't think so no. um i i think and, and i've been 
careful never to push what I do on anyone. It, it's uh, while I love it and it's an exciting career, it, it's not for everyone. Right. And if any of them ever came to me and had an interest, I'd certainly uh, give them guidance. But none of them have to date. I, I don't suspect that will happen. Well, we're gonna shift some gears here and, and talk a little bit about the the many things that you guys have going on out sure. here. I know you just wrapped up a. A fiscal year, and you've got the expansion that started, and you have Big Birth, Big Ship program sure. going on. And sure. We mentioned Inland Port earlier. I'm going to kind of let you guide. Where would you want to start on that? Well, I think, you know, I think you start at the right point. We um, just wrapped up our fiscal year of 2019, and I couldn't be more proud of the entire port because, again, it's a team effort. But we wrapped up with some great numbers. Uh, Four and a half million TEUs. It was a record. Grew by about seven and a half percent. And we say TEUs, that means okay, thank a twenty you. foot yeah, thank container. You, Is every container twenty foot? Well, no. So no. It, you're absolutely right. So it's a so TEU. 20. It's a twenty foot equivalent unit. It's just a standard metric we use in our industry. Uh, there's also things called an FEU, a forty foot equivalent unit. But okay. but the uh, essentially about eighty percent of all the containers are forty feet long. Okay. And there are a few 45-footers. There's an even less number of uh, 53-footers. And then the other large numbers, there's about, I would say, almost 20% of containers are 20 feet. Okay. So it's just that's the most common denominator, I guess. And, and uh, so 4.5 million TEUs. Uh, the other big number, so we're growing three years in a row now by about 7 to 8%, which is stunning when you think about the size of the Georgia ports. We've been able to maintain that growth rate. I, I think this year will be a challenge. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But on the intermodal side, and when I mention intermodal, I'm talking about rail cargo. Mm-hmm. We have a large a, a rail plan to develop our mega terminal, but, but I'm glad to see our intermodal is actually growing at double the pace of our ship vessel volume. Okay. So we grew, we handled 506,000 lifts last year. That's up 16.6%. So amazing. And that's several years in that range. And we don't see that stopping. And while I'm on that note, I think uh, we'll, we'll come back to the intermodal in a little bit. On the car side, we have, we have two pillars at the Georgia Ports Authority. I often talk about the, the Garden City Terminal, which is where we're sitting now. And it's, it's a massive port. But we also have in Brunswick our auto facility, and that's more of a landlord port operation. But we're very proud of the fact that we handled 600, over 600,000 cars at Colonel's Island, mm-hmm. and we grew by 4% there as well. Most of the cars coming from European? Yeah, economy. most. most. Well, we have short-sea shipping coming in from Mexico, but okay. we have exports going to Europe, mm-hmm. and we have imports coming in from Europe, exactly. Okay. And we're very proud of the fact that the example that we'd love to share is you've got Kia, the uh, auto plant in West Point, Georgia, exporting right. to Europe and the Middle East, mm-hmm. building the new Telluride, which is a beautiful car, and uh, really excited about that. Uh, but you've also got Mercedes-Benz, who are exporting SUVs that are being built in Vance, Alabama, being railed to our terminal in Colonel's Island, and then exported back to Germany and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we should be very proud of that fact. Not only Georgia ports, but as a, a U.S. component, it's great to see those exports. So I think the other thing that I'll share on the numbers side, which is really interesting, it's one thing to talk about growth and the percentage, but it's another to consider where do we stand when, when, we, when we think about growth, how are we doing market share-wise? And for the last three years, we've made tremendous strides in market share. A tenth of a point is good mm-hmm. in gaining market share. But we are now, uh, we've gone from about 17% market share up to 21% over the last three to four years. So. 
again, while the 7% is great, the 8% is fantastic, it's, it, the market share is the ultimate number. And how are we doing there? And, and that's a good telltale sign. So we hope to see good things there. So really, that 21% is we're talking about the East Coast of the U.S. Right. And so what we're saying is one out of every five containers going through the East Coast is coming through this port, which is exciting for us. Yeah, yeah that, we're going to keep that in mind because I want to come back later and talk about what is setting the port apart that's taking that business from somewhere sure. else. Sure, yeah, I, we're, we're absolutely will address that. But I think that that's kind of where we are on the numbers side. Uh, you know, when, when, we, when we have a growth rate like I've just shared, the, one of the things that keeps you up at night is making sure that we can continue to absorb future growth successfully. Mm-hmm. I think that, that just to kind of lead into your question, answer your, the question you just stated was, why are we doing well? And, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but one of the things that I like to you know, point out is that, number one, I think we're doing well because of the service that we provide to our customers. And when customers receive good service, they want more of that experience. It's no different than Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that service is, is not just the Georgia Ports Authority. I'm talking about service as a community, as a state. And so it includes expanding the facilities to ensure we have the capacity it, we're talking about the stevedores and the ILA to make sure they handle those vessels productively and that we work the ship, get it in, get it out on time, sail it. And then how do we connect the cargo to the hinterland? Mm-hmm. Does it leave in a day? Is it four days? And so as an example, um, I mentioned 500,000 rail lifts and that's 16% growth. One of the things we're really proud of at the Georgia Ports is that a couple of years ago, when we talk about rail cargo, it was taking us two to three days to connect freight from discharge to vessel and load it on the train. I can tell you now that we're inside of 24 hours, which is world class. Mm-hmm. And when we can do that for customers, again, they want more of it. Right. And that has, that's, I think the timing for the mega rail is perfect yep. that we'll talk about in a second what we're building here. But we have customers asking us, can we do more? Can we handle more? And, and th- that's why I think ultimately, uh, you know, we think we're earning the business. It's not just rail. It's also the local community. We have warehouse operators here who are doing a great job, developers that are building more and more capacity. I, I think a stat that has just blown me away is this past year, approximately 7 million square feet of warehouse was added to the local Savannah community. Mm-hmm. Most of that has already been absorbed. We, we actually have less warehouse vacancy than we had a year ago. We went from something like 2.5% to 1.5%. Uh, that's an amazing stat. And I can, um, we haven't seen the final numbers yet for the country, but for our size market, I am sure we have been uh, retaining, the, the, I guess, the prize of the, the largest absorption rate for our size market. And I, I would think that we'd do that again this year. So quite a story. I mean, the, the Georgia Ports Authority owned about 500 acres just north of us, mm-hmm. and we call it the International Trade Park. Companies like IKEA and Target are, are located there. Well, we decided to, a couple of years ago, market the land and see if we had any interest because we were concerned about the amount of warehouse capacity there was in the marketplace. And we had five different bidders bid for the for the land and we sold it to those five two years later we just closed on the last piece of property there's six million square feet of warehouse essentially built and spoken for right wayfair was one of those locations with the thousand, thousand jobs, jobs and so yeah. forth so so i think 
those are a couple of things that are, you know, why is it going well? Yeah. You mentioned a Mason Mega Rail. I know that project yeah. is is ongoing, and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm 2020 seems to stick out in yes. my mind. Is yes. that the completion? Yeah. Several years ago, we embarked to, uh, on, a, on a mission to build the single largest rail on-dock rail facility, which not just to build a single largest, but to match the size and scope of our facility we have here, our container terminal. So if we've got the single largest container terminal, it stands to reason we should have the single largest rail. And so we are now 40% complete with that project. Uh, Rail track is being laid and being delivered. We're working with our Class 1 railroad partners in Norfolk Southern and CSX, and they've been great partners in helping us uh, you know, it's painful when you have a project this size. It can be painful to do it in a live operation on a live terminal. But I, I just want to thank all the stakeholders that are part of it, even the users of the facility, because there's construction. Mm-hmm. And while it's not pretty at times, it's going to make a difference and be a difference maker for us long into the future. So mm-hmm. we'll take our rail capacity as a result of the mega rail from 500,000 lifts today to a million lifts when this is completed and it'll be done the first phase will be done in the first quarter of 2020 and the final phase will be done by the end of 2020 so in in the next year and a half we'll see this terminal come to life the rail facility come to life and we're really excited about it you mentioned ship to train is less than 24 hours now does the completion of that project speed that up or does it just increase the capacity and allow you to get more cargo through the port. Yeah, I think certainly we want to speed it up. I think, though, there comes a, a, a plateau that you reach. And I, what I would say is if we can grow from 500,000 rail lifts to a million and maintain the connectivity that, that I just discussed, we would be hitting a home run. I think the idea of continuing to grow at these rates and try to improve upon it, not that it's not impossible, but it becomes more challenging. So we want to, uh, when you talk to a customer, one of the things that they focus on is just Give us reliability, something we can plan on so that we can plan our supply chain. Mm -hmm. And so that is our focus at the Georgia Ports, whether it's a truck arriving at the terminal and we, our goal for a truck, if it's a single move, single container they're handling, meaning dropping off a container or picking one up, we want to handle that truck in 30 minutes. If it's two moves, we want to handle that truck in less than an hour. And we're achieving that. And as we grow, we want to continue to maintain that. And that's been a success story for us. Same goes for the rail or any other part of our operation, whether it's productivity on the vessels or wherever else we're, we're looking at st- metrics in the operation. The other end of the rail, of course, is the the inland terminal. Sure. You've got one that opened last year. you got one that's, at least on paper, going to be yeah. a reality in the years to come. What? How do those two things tie together and help things here well, I think that, that uh, the reason rail is, is critically important for us and really for all terminal operators is that when you look at the trucking industry today, uh, the average age of a truck driver is probably around 56 years old. And um, let's face it, uh, while I wish it were, this were not the case, a lot of folks are not coming out of high school or college wanting to be truck drivers. And there are a lot of people leaving the industry and doing other things like Uber and other types of, uh, of jobs. So the truck industry, truck power is becoming more constrained and availability. So I think it's incumbent upon us to look for alternatives for our customers. Now, rail cannot possibly replace all the truck traffic out there. Um, there'll be other technologies, I'm sure, that will come into play in the future as well. But, but what we can do is look for low-hanging fruit 
And in this case, Northwest Georgia was a great opportunity to not only help our customers deliver cargo to a place it was tough to get a truck to, but also we took trucks off the road, trucks that are going through Atlanta. And you think about that, uh, this year, this coming year, we'll probably do 20,000 trucks, 20,000 moves, which would have been about 40,000 truck moves that are now no longer going through the middle of Atlanta. And yeah. I think that's a victory as well. Yeah, getting it past it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So. And closer to the, to the customer. And closer to the customer. We, we said this before. We, our goal is to move our fence line from right here on State Road 25 to our customer's back doorstep. Mm -hmm. And the Inland Port in, in Murray County has been quite successful in doing that. Uh, we did that, and we, I think when we first picked our location, and I give credit to the team, John Trent, namely, on our team, who led a group of people and looked for locations, we said, hey, Murray County is a Tier 1 county. They could use jobs. They could use economic development. And as a result, the state of Georgia and the Georgia Ports Authority and CSX chipped in together and essentially put in about $10 million apiece to build the facility. Mm -hmm. And a couple of a month or so ago, when, when GE Appliances announced that they were going to build a 600,000-square-foot facility essentially directly adjacent to the ARP, that, that was almost an emotional moment, I think, for all of us because that was exactly what the plan was, and it came to full fruition. And we know that others are looking at the same thing. And when that facility is built, and that's, that's all new business for, for the Georgia ports, mm -hmm. for Georgia, and it's all new business for Murray County. Mm -hmm. And we'll now handle 6,000 containers a year to the ARP, the regional port, as a result of that investment. That never happens without the ARP. Right. And there's others that are looking and will follow suit. So I yeah. expect that to be a very successful project. So whether they're shipping their fridges and dishwashers here to put on a ship or, or inland somewhere else, exactly. they're going through a GPA that's right. facility. And, and uh, so that's a, and, you know, not every plan comes together. That's, that's a success story for sure. One thing, a, a program you announced earlier this year was the, the Big Birth, Big Ship program. And it's something that I think because of, of what came down last fall with the expansion of the port and, and – the bridge and a lot of other things that were talked right. about and part of that that maybe that has been a little bit under the radar but i know that's gonna right now i believe you can get three ships berthed here when yeah. this thing is done it's gonna be six well yeah we can dock three fort essentially three fourteen thousand tu ships alongside and we can also handle another four okay. that are smaller ships okay but what's happening in in, in our world is that the demand for berth space for larger ships is increasing on a monthly basis. I mean, each year there are more and more of these larger ships. If, if we go back just eight years ago when I started the Georgia Ports Authority, probably the largest ship that was calling here at that time was somewhere around 7,000. Maybe the 8,000 had just started uh, calling. Each year that's increased. And I, and I know for a fact that if you go back five years ago, the Georgia Ports was touting that, hey, the workhorse ships are going to be seven and 8,000 TUs. Well, that, that was wrong. Mm -hmm. the, the workhorse vessels now are 10 to 12,000. And I think that we're just going to see the, the, we know the evolution of the vessels will go this way. So we need to have a strategic plan that allows us to accommodate more and more of these vessels. So that's, we are keenly aware of that and focused on ensuring that our berth is 
prepared to, and, and ready for those type of vessels. So we can hold three today. Our goal is to get it to six over the next five years or so, maybe a little less than that. And we have a plan to do that. It just takes money. And that's one piece of it. And that's 14,000 TU ships. But it, 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 it'd be foolish for us to think the vessels will not stop growing in size. Mm-hmm. I think everybody that thought that going back to the initial Panama Canal uh, was wrong. So let's not make the same mistake again. And let's make sure Savannah and Georgia are well positioned to handle the largest ships afloat. The fact is the largest ships that are on the water today are 23,000 TEUs, and we understand there are some that are planning for 25,000. Um, do we think these ships will call here tomorrow? No. There's not enough of them to do that. They're primarily uh, located in the Asia to Europe trade. Right. But we definitely think, and, and it's not just us speaking, but we've had experts in the industry take a look at this and look at the ship builds and, and the way uh, trade moves and, and what what they think will happen. And ultimately, their estimation is that these ships could start calling uh, the East Coast in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that's our goal. We, we want to do everything we can to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what our focus is. Are they coming through the canal or are they coming across the Atlantic? So those ships, uh, the largest ship that can fit through a canal is about 15,000. Okay. We just we just had one of those call on us about a month ago. That's the Panama Canal. Right. And those vessels can fit through the Suez Canal. Okay. So there are two things. The we were just I was just in Panama last week. We went down with our chairman and our vice chair and and we met with the canal authority and we had this discussion. And we asked them what their thought was on the big ships. And I think when it's justified, they have the ability. The reason, take a step back, the reason these 14,000 TU ships are calling in, in greater numbers is because the Panama Canal in two, expanded the locks. And that allowed them to come through. And it was good for Savannah and, and the East Coast. They had the ability to build another set of locks, which would be called the fourth set. Okay. And they don't have specific plans right now to do it, but they can. And I think when they do that, they will build it to accommodate 20-plus thousand TEU ships. Um, In addition to that, the Suez Canal also has the ability as well. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, there's um, really one specific roadblock. We're working on the river. I didn't mention the ship. But the other piece of this is probably somewhere around 16 to 17,000 TEU ship is the largest that could fit under the bridge, mm-hmm. um, the Talmadge Bridge. Mm-hmm. And we know that that bridge needs, to, we need to build a new bridge. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a, it's a big expense item and a lot of folks, say, wow, that's, that's going to be about a billion dollars. Um, but if we want to continue to enjoy the fruits of the economic development that, that the ports bring, we have to do this because New York has just raised their bridge, right? Uh, Virginia, like two and a half billion dollars. Yeah, but yeah, but two and a half billion. That's right. Now they raised the bridge, <laughs> a historic landmark yeah. that, that they didn't want to. So um, Virginia is in very good shape. They have uh, they have deep water. The, the U.S. Navy is housed there, and so they don't, they only have tunnels, and they're Tunnel, right. they're well prepared for the ships. And um, and Baltimore is in good shape. They have fifty feet as well, and of depth, and they don't really have any any limitations there at one of their terminals. And Charleston is deepening their channel, and so they have a bridge issue as well. Mm-hmm. They may be able to handle a, big, a ship that's slightly bigger, but they can't handle the ships that we're talking about. So we both have to do something to prepare for the future, and I know that Savannah and Georgia do not want to be left behind here. We're going to 
going to go deeper behind the scenes at the port with Griff Lynch, but let's pause a moment and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to Savannah or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. With you guys, you're competing against other ports for business. In a landlord port, are the operator That's of this point. part yeah, of the I terminal competing against you. their neighbor yeah, no. for space, for business, for labor, right? Well, they can say, I want the best people from the ILA to work my Thank section you. of the port. Adam, you should be working for the port. So, <laughs> it's, it's a great point. Um, you put that on tape now. <laughs> no, it's a great point because one thing I failed to mention in these landlord ports, um, if you look at Port of New York, New Jersey, or LA Long Beach, you're talking about each port having six or seven, or in some cases, 13 to 15 different facilities, wow. different container terminals. Operators. So what that means for the end customer is not only those ports kind of there's competition be, you know, between the terminals, but what it really means is that a vessel that comes to Georgia, a container ship goes to one place. Mm-hmm. And we, our, our customers, our carrier customers, tend to partner and change partners mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And if they change a partner and if they are at this terminal and this partner goes to the other terminal, now they've got to figure out, well, how do we do this with our ships? How do we connect that freight? That might mean additional truck traffic moves, moving empty containers or logistics behind it. And ultimately, it just increases costs significantly. Mm -hmm. At the Georgia ports, regardless of who our customers partner with, they're going to be coming to the same terminal. Maybe a different berth, maybe it's a thousand feet away, but all their containers are in one place. And that is um, infinitely more, you know, kind of easy to work with us versus others. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that helps, us, helps us tremendously. Maintaining a relationship with the ILA, obviously, is, is the one really key sure. component. How, how does that relationship work? And- well, I think, I think it all starts with leadership. The ILA has, uh, has tremendous leadership and has had tremendous leadership. Kind of starts with uh, Willie Seymour, who's an international vice president, Kerry Scott, who's an international vice president, uh, Frank Ryan and Tim Mackey, who are, who are presidents of locals here. Um, these guys are all people that we can sit down with, we can talk to, and, um, and always are looking for the answers of how to work things out. And it's not necessarily working out with the Georgia ports, but if there's an issue ever, uh, the beautiful thing about, about Georgia is the ILA will always handle the business first and get the, the container loaded or discharged, whatever it might be, and then work out whatever issue they might have with their employers. Um, and so that is, uh, I think that's a game changer for us. And um, the fact of the matter is, I think wherever I've been and worked, I've always found that, you know, the ILA has, has had great leadership. And that applies to you know every port. It's you know I think it's really important that we recognize what the men and women of the ILA do uh, in the ports, and and that's the same is true for the Georgia ports people because we have people that are working out here, you know, rain or shine, in the heat, mosquitoes, the bugs. It it is not an easy job. 
and uh, and it's a dangerous job also on for both the Georgia Ports employees and the ILA, and um, and I couldn't be more proud to be just to be part of the team. Quite frankly, tell me a little bit about the nuances of international trade. I, you know, people see these ships come <clears> in, they assume, oh well, Savannah's on the map. That's where I'm going to stop and drop it off. It's not that simple. How yeah. do you go about the business? I think of? I think that you know there there are a couple players that we need to to know about. So first, you have the ocean carrier. And those are the folks that we have a business relationship with. They're the ones that primarily pay our bills. And then you have the beneficial cargo owner. And those are the people that own the cargo. And those are the big box retailers or could be a small mom and pop shop. But they're deciding where the cargo goes. The ocean carrier has the ships Mm -hmm. and they carry the cargo. But ultimately the BCO says, I want my cargo to go here. This This is where where I need you to deliver it to. And so uh, the Georgia ports decades ago, uh, under Doug Marshan, had a great thought, and that was they were really the first to go market not only to the ocean carriers, which has always been important, but also the BCOs, and go talk to the Walmarts of the world, the Home Depots, the Lowe's, and say, hey, why don't you bring your cargo to Savannah, and here's why. We have land right outside the port. You can build a great big distribution center. Our cost is this, and, and that has paid off in spades. And so that model has now been copied throughout the United States, but... I would still tell you, and having come from other ports, I can say this confidently, not, not, not seen every port, but in the ports I was in, no one is doing it to the extent that, that the Georgia ports is. And, and our, trade, uh, our trade development team, led by Cliff Pyron, has done a phenomenal job. We have relationships with these BCOs, and we truly try to listen and focus on their needs, and if there's a problem, we want to work that out for them. At the same time, we want to make sure we're serving our ocean carrier customers with the best service we can. Selling to both has been, I think, a difference maker for uh, the Georgia ports. And, and understanding the issues and also understanding, hey, they appoint truckers. And those truckers come to our facility. We know that they are the frontline customer for the Georgia Ports Authority. Let's make sure we give them the best experience possible because we want them to go back to their customer who's also our customer, say, hey, these guys are doing a good job. We like what they're doing. We want, to, we, again, we want you to bring more here because we can move our car- cargo fluidly. The truck driver can make money. The beneficial cargo owner makes money and the ocean carrier. And that's our goal, to really provide a win-win solution. But that convincing of when you think about international trade, that might mean going to Amazon's headquarters and talking to them directly about what are your plans and also going to Singapore and meeting with our largest ocean carrier that calls Savannah, the ONE, the One Line, and that's where they're based. So you've got to have this two-pronged approach. It's not one or the other. It's all and everyone and looking for what each need is and doing our best to satisfy those needs. How important is it to be diversified in the customer base? I mean, a lot of people are making a lot out of China tariffs and when are going to come down and when's that going to have an impact? And obviously Asia and China are a big sure. port of that's coming to here. Absolutely. But is it, is the key to have ships coming from a lot of different places, bringing a lot of different kind of cargo? Absolutely. Uh, we we want to diversify as much as we can in, in many ways. First of all, we want to touch customers. We want to have developed our Atlantic trade lane, the Caribbean. We want to have the Latin America's trade. And then, obviously, Asia is our largest trade lane. So what happens in Asia will, will greatly impact the Georgia Ports Authority. And we want to see all those things worked out. But we can't control trade lanes at the same time. There's a massive production that's happening in China and Southeast Asia, and we're not going to change that. Mm -hmm. We won't change it, but it will change over time. 
and it may move to Vietnam, it may, from China to Vietnam, it may move to India. What we have to ensure is that's where we're talking to those ocean carriers and saying, okay, do we have the services that you need? Are we in your thought process if, it, if you start moving ships out of Africa? And those are the types of discussions, kind of future thinking things we're also thinking about. But that's one type of diversification. But the other is imports and exports, right? So, and something that the Georgia ports has enjoyed over the years, because really, Georgia started off as a strong export market. Mm -hmm. And that has been another key to our success. The last thing that an ocean carrier wants to do is move an empty container. Empty is, an empty container is air. Air is not paying any money or any freight. And so to the extent that they can get cargo moving in both directions makes their life much better. And we had the exports, again, years ago when they convinced the BCOs, the, the importers, to establish, set up shop here in Savannah and Georgia. That allowed us to get to a 50-50 market where we have 50% exports, 50% imports. Today, you know, it depends on the strength of the dollar and what's happening there, but we're probably in the range of 45-55. And that, again, that can change on a dime depending on what happens on the tariffs and, and whatnot. But, but it's still a very strong situation, you know, place to be, position to be in. And then, yeah, we, we want to make sure that on, on the diversification side, on the BCOs, we, we want to have a balanced market. We don't want, you know, there are ports that if one big BCO changes their mind and says, hey, we're leaving, we're going over here, the port is going to be hurting. I, I can, yeah, and I can say that there are customers like that at Savannah, and we're very proud to have them. But we, we have 25,000 customers. There are a lot of customers moving 1,000 containers a year, not 60,000. Yeah. Um, and so that's a good place to be as well. So we're, we're happy with that. Yeah. So what desk drawer do you hide that crystal ball in, and where can I order one? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, every, every other year, the Georgia ports, uh, we, we bring in exports to help us. We certainly can't predict the future, but we try to do the best we can. And we do a 10-year strategy. And in that 10-year strategy, we're looking at our cash flow. What kind of projects do we need? How much will they be? Where's the future growth going to be? What do we need to be doing different than we're doing today? And it's tough to look out 10 years, and quite frankly, it's impossible. But, but what we can hopefully do is look at the next two to three and have a good insight. To, and, and we're pretty close in the last several iterations. We've been fairly close and um and that's helpful for us to plan uh where we'll be and as we talked about earlier the bridge is certainly part of the 10-year program yeah. and so those are things we're saying now we've got to do and hopefully when we look back on this 10 years from now we'll say yeah that was right yeah well when we, we reconvene from one of these in a couple of years we can talk about that exactly. bridge. we can talk about <laughs> yeah. jasper we can talk exactly. about all of that stuff but yeah. uh, but this has been great. I, I feel like I've learned a lot, and I'm, I'm pretty confident the, the audience will feel that way, too. Thank you very much for taking the time and, yeah. and sharing all your insights. Adam, on behalf of the ports, thank you for, uh, for being here, and, and appreciate what you're doing. Thanks to the Georgia Ports Authority's Griff Lynch for sharing his insights on Difference Makers and to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah Voice Festival's Verena Zubis, Cedis Trip Tollison, and James Beard award-winning chef Mashama Bailey. Difference Makers is also available at savannahnow.com opinion. Scroll down the landing page and you'll see a heading that says Difference Makers and then an archive of past episodes. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. We'll be back August the 30th. Our scheduled guest is Chatham County District Attorney Meg Heap.
Thank you for listening.